This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Today, if you would, would you turn to Matthew chapter 21? We're going to start at verse 33. Through 46. Anybody seen Zach? <laughs> and when y'all find with y'all, please stand. Verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. Dove wine press in it and built a tire and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country now when vintage time drew near he sent his servants to the vine dresser that they might receive its fruit and the vine dressers took his servant beat one killed one and stoned another and again he sent another servant more than the first they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard come, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He would destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to another vine dresser, who would render to him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scripture? The stone which the builders reject has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. And however falls on this stone will be broken. But on the whomever is fall, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they preserved that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for their prophet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, we thank You. And we look to You again asking, Father, that You enable us to focus. May all of our attention be on You. Lord, may we come before You this morning with hands out and open seeking to receive, Lord, what You have for us. May we come acknowledging our dependence upon You. Lord, I ask that You enable me to speak the message You would have delivered. I pray, Father, that You grant accuracy and clarity. And again, ask that You open all of our ears to hear 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Well, I feel particularly blessed. We have uh, Caleb, Joshua, and Samuel with us this morning. And uh, <laughs> no, it's it's a blessing to have all of y'all with us. And, and I appreciate that song. I got caught up in the song and forgot to put my mic on. Got up here and realized I didn't have it. Uh, but good, good song. Um. I want to talk this morning about robbing God. It may sound like a funny thing, <laughs> but I think, uh, and we'll see as we, we get into it. I think uh, oftentimes uh, we can be guilty of that and not, not realizing it, realize it. Um, some of the nicest people that I have known have been criminals. <laughs> and it's funny how that works. I mean, you can't just go by the outward and somebody's personality necessarily and, and tell what is deep in the heart. Some of, some of the people who come across the nicest, who give you the shirt off of their back in most circumstances, um, be the very people who do unimaginable things at times. Well, I say that to make this point. I, I think we typically think of ourselves as good people. That's, that's, that's our nature. That's the way we view ourselves. And, um, our, our, needless to say, our, our view is, uh, is somewhat distorted, to say the least. But a lot of times we're criminals and don't realize it and guilty of robbing God. Now, how does robbing God come out of this text? Uh, if, if you were, if, if you just saw the title in the bulletin, you probably thought, okay, he's preaching today on tithing uh, from Malachi 3, right? <laughs> and there, the children of Israel, the indictment against them is robbing God because they weren't paying their tithes. And tithing was a uh, uh, was required under the old covenant law. It was it was a part of the covenant relationship between God and and the Jews. And their refusal to bring their tithe into the storehouse, that is a tenth of all of their increase, their refusal to do that cost them blessings. That is, they, they missed out. Well, similarly, um, there's something going on here in this text that uh, is having a similar effect. That is, something is required. There's a refusal to render it. And because of that, there are grave consequences. Now, I want you to remember, as we go down through this, uh, the context here. Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees, by the chief, the, uh, the chief priests and the, and the uh, Pharisees, specifically in verse 45. But, but this has been going on for some time. They, they've confronted him, questioned him, and he in turn uh, is, is re- returning indictments against them. And one way in which he does this is in the form of the parable we have before us here in, uh, in, in these verses, 33 through 46. Also, it's going to be, again, in the next chapter, he, uh, he hits them again with another parable. Verse 33, 
hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, let me stop there for just a minute and give just a, a, a general interpretation here. What Jesus is using a, a word picture here, a, 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 a parable to express spiritual truth. There was a certain landowner, and that's representative of God for, for the spiritual lesson that he's putting across. The landowner is God. God planted a vineyard. I think that can refer to the nation of Israel. Um, there are some passages. In fact, we'll look at one in a minute. Isaiah 5, uh, where, where uh, that, that kind of uh, metaphor is used for the nation of Israel. And he said, set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He made all the necessary preparation for a fruitful vineyard. In other words... For a good harvest. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, if everything I've, I've said is correct so far, the, the, the vineyard represents Israel. Uh, God is the landowner. And we're going to see further down in the parable that, the, that Jesus is represented here too. Who would the vine dressers be? Who? The religious leaders, yeah, the nation's leaders. That's right. There you go. He pictures God as planting a vineyard and leasing it out. That is, He gives somebody else responsibility over it. He makes an agreement with them, so to speak, in the parable. And He's expecting fruit. He's expecting them to make the vineyard do what it's supposed to do, and produce fruit. In other words, they're supposed to, uh, to work it, protect it, and so forth. Uh, and he's given, given them everything necessary for that task. He's planted the vineyard, made a hedge around it, and uh, built a tower. So you've got, you've got uh, necessary steps there for protection, safety. And then he leaves them with the responsibility and goes into a far country. Now, verse 34, when vintage time drew near, or literally the time of fruit, that is, it's, it's now the time for the harvest. When vintage time drew near, he sent, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. That is, they're coming now for payment. It's just like you have a, a uh, sharecropper or something. You can relate it to something like that, which used to be popular uh, in, in our country. Uh, and he leases them the land, they, they uh, farm the land, and then when the harvest comes in, they give a portion to the landowner. So now it's time to collect. It's the time of fruit. And the landowner sends his servants, his slaves, um, to collect. In verse 35, And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Now, a lot of times we, we think of landowners, right, as being hard taskmasters, hard on their servants, hard on their tenants, those whom they deal with. Well, this is, this is the reverse. Here you have the landowner who's made a 
deal, so to speak, in the parable with his tenants. And they are rebelling against him. And this is insurrection. I mean, this is pure rebellion. They, they are supposed to work the vineyard, produce fruit, and when the time comes, give the fruit over to the landowner. Well, that time is here. He sends his slaves, and what do they do? They mistreat them. They took his slaves, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Verse 36, again, he sent other servants. So he's making multiple attempts here. It's amazing, isn't it? You would think uh, uh, that the first time would be enough that you just come in and wipe them out, do whatever he's got to do. But he's gracious, and he sends more servants. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them, verse 36 says. So they're still refusing to do what's required of them. They're refusing to turn over the fruit, to render the fruit. Verse 37, last of all, he sent his son to them. Mark and Luke's account refers to him as beloved son or only son. He sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. Well, we can all guess who the son represents, can't we? If God is the landowner and he's sending his son to the tenants, well, this is a picture of Jesus. And who would the other slaves be a picture of? Prophets and righteous men, right? That down through the ages, God had sent as witnesses to the nation of Israel, who had sent testifying to their leadership time and time and time again, commanding repentance, commanding them to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. The last one being John the Baptist, right? So you've got a picture here of the nation of Israel and the leadership over it and the the mishandling of the leadership. Now, they're not doing what they're, they're there to do, what they're called to do, what they're supposed to do. And God coming and demanding fruit from the nation of Israel. And by the way, we saw this last week pictured in uh, verses 18 and 19. Uh, in the morning, he returned to the city. He was hungry and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And said to it, that is, Jesus said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered. Jesus comes to a fig tree expecting to find fruit, and he finds none, and he curses the fig tree. Now, that little story, which really happened, uh, that little incident is, is exactly what we're seeing in this parable. That is, Jesus is, is conveying the same truth in this parable that he did in that incident in verses 40, uh, oops, skip the page, in verses 18 and 19. So God now comes looking for fruit. They kill the servants, prophets, righteous men. So last of all, He sends His Son, His beloved Son, saying, They will respect My Son. This is the landowner in the parable. says, They will respect My Son. Verse 38. But when the vine dressers saw the Son... They said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. 
So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, before we get to consequences for that, let's stop there for a moment. What, what we've got here in the parable is an illustration of the rejection of God's will by the Jews, and, and more specifically, the Jewish leadership. The, again, the chief priests and Pharisees mentioned in verse 45, and you could lump in there, you know, the, the scribes, the Sadducees, those who were considered to be the, the religious elite or the religious leadership among the people, were refusing to render the fruit that God requires. So there's a re- rejection here of the will of God. That's just bottom line. There's various ways that plays out, but bottom line is this. Though they are claiming to be God's people, though they claim to represent Him, they are refusing to do His will. Now, here again, we've seen this before, right? The parable of the two sons, verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second, said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? That's, that's the issue here. Doing the will of the father. Who's doing the will of God? And Jesus asked, uh, the Jews here, which of the two sons did the will of his father? Well, they answered correctly, verse 31. They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Surely I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. The implication is, you're the son, the agreeable rebel. (laughs) The one to whom the father said, Go work the vineyard. And you said, I go, sir. But you wouldn't go. You wouldn't do the will of the father. But... Tax collectors and prostitutes, they're represented by the other son, who were rebellious for a time, who when they were told to go said no, but then afterward repented and went. And he gives an example of that in verse 32, John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent. And believe him. And by the way, again, John the Baptist is one of the prophets that God sent. The last one uh, throughout the history of, of Israel. So they're rejecting God's will. That is that is what the issue is here. Now, why is that? There's there's a motive behind that. God sends them prophets and righteous men to show them the way of righteousness so that they can produce the fruit that God has ordained that all all men produce, that He has commanded that we all produce. And they mistreated those prophets and righteous men, all of the ones who were truly saints down through the ages, still going on today. Because they refuse to do God's will. Now, why is that? Well, again, there's, there's a motive here. Let's go back to the <clears throat> parable for a minute. Verse 37, 
Last of all, He sent His Son to them, saying, They will respect My Son. I mean, this, this is the ultimate representative of the landowner. He, he sent slaves and they were mistreated, but now He sends the heir, His beloved Son. They will respect My Son. Verse 38, But when the vine dressers saw the Son... They said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. That's amazing, isn't it? They, not only did they not want to, to pay what the landowner was due, render the fruit, give the portion that they had agreed to, But they, they wanted to be the landowner. They wanted the inheritance. They wanted to seize the property. Not only are we not going to pay you what we owe you, but we're going to take over. This is, again, pure insurrection, pure rebellion. This is the heir. We'll kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. And remember the son here represents Jesus. They took Him and cast Him out of the vineyard and killed Him. And that is, again, another statement by Jesus foretelling what He is about to endure. This time, He's telling uh, not just His disciples, but some of the very men who are going to do it. Therefore, verse 40, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Well, let me come back to that in a minute. Let me, let me um, skip over that for, for a minute here. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, he's just given them the parable of the vine dresser um, in, as an indictment against them and how they resisted God's will and how they treated God's people and ultimately how they're going to treat God's own beloved Son. And now he gives them another, uh, another uh, uh, metaphor here of a stone. This one from Scripture, from Psalm, eight, uh, Psalm 118. And by the way, it's the same psalm that the, uh, all the people were, were reciting when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem in His triumphant entry. Uh, and they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 118. This is the uh, same psalm, just a few verses ahead of that, a couple verses ahead of that. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now again, the stone here represents Christ. And Jesus says, have you never read in the Scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And this is the very stone, by the way, that is going to be rejected by them. But it is the, that stone rejected that is made the chief cornerstone. So again, what is Jesus doing? Indicting them for their rejection of Him saying, the very one whom you reject 
is the chief cornerstone, or to use the parable, the landowner's son. Now here's the thing. Getting back to their motive here. Why, why would they reject the chief cornerstone? Why would they reject the landowner's son? Because they want to seize the inheritance. Because they want what rightfully belongs to him. They're not, they're not willing to, to render the fruit that he's come to receive. Submission, obedience, praise. Remember, what's the very, very thing they refuse to do when he's riding into Jerusalem on the young colt? All the multitudes are, are going crazy and they're laying down palm branches and they're, and they're laying down their, their clothing in the, in the streets before him and behind him. And they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you get in the temple and the children are, are, are singing the same praises. And the Pharisees are indignant. Don't you hear what they're saying? Jesus says, yes, yes. Again, haven't you ever read? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, He perfects praise. That's the fruit that He's looking for. Worship. And righteousness. And by that, I mean practical righteousness. Again, remember the words of John the Baptist uh, when dealing with these, these same uh, men, some of the same types. Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. That, by the way, you go back to uh, Matthew 2 for just a moment. Matthew 2, or, I'm sorry, Matthew 3, verse 7. This is John the Baptist. When, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not think to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So there's John's indictment. And again, it's because they refuse to bring the fruit. Um, Isaiah 5, which I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, I think uh, Jesus definitely has this, I believe, in mind um, when He recites the parable we just read. At least it sure seems that way. Um, Isaiah 5, verse 1, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared it out and cleared out its stones, planted it with a choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, 
but it brought forth wild grapes. So see, you see again, like the, like the parable, he did everything necessary for it to bring forth good grapes, but it does not. In verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. And why is that? Verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, and behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of help. He looked for justice, steady found oppression. He looked for righteousness, instead a cry for help. He's not finding the fruit that He's looking for what he is finding is rebellion. Those who want to seize his inheritance. Now, this is why I refer to it as robbing God. Now, here's what I think is is the heart of all sin. It's, It's not just just the refusal to do God's will. God looks for justice, righteousness. And we could we could uh, we could unpack that. I mean, there, there are myriads of ways. In fact, we went through uh, um, when when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, we we talked about that extensively. What what it means to to live out practical righteousness. What it means to to uh, to be a, a a child of the kingdom, an heir of the kingdom, and what that looks like. I think that's what you what you have in in the uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, for example. But the bottom line is this. In other words, why the refusal to do God's will? Why the refusal to bring forth fruit? It's because they wanted to seize His inheritance. That is, they want the crown that rightly belongs to Christ. They refused to praise Him. Right? We saw that. One example, the triumphant entry. They question his authority. Go back to verse 23, 23 through 27. Um, it's, it's clear. The answer to the question there, I mean, they, they ask, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus gives them the question, well, let me, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. You tell me the answer to this, and I'll, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, verse 25, the baptism of John... Where was it from? From heaven or from men? Now, as I said before, that's, that's a multiple choice, right? You've got two options. It's A or B. And they chose C. <laughs> we don't know. It's amazing, isn't it? How could they not know? Well, if, if you read it carefully, you'll find out that the, the problem was not that they did not know. The problem was that they did not want to give the correct answer. 
in verse 25. If we say from heaven, that is, if we say the, the baptism of John is from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, well, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they knew the answer, but they didn't want to give the right answer because they weren't submitting to the truth. If they admit that John's baptism was from heaven, then they must acknowledge the validity of John's ministry. And John came, John came to point us to Christ, right? He came to pave the way for Christ. He came to identify the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So if they, if they legitimize John, then they must legitimize Jesus. And they're refusing, refusing to do that. They question His authority, not, not because it is not obvious. It's obvious. <laughs> they question His authority because they're, they're trying to uh, bring it into question. They're trying to subvert it. It's authority that they have assumed for themselves that they don't want to relinquish. And if they can rid themselves of Him, then they think they can hang on to the authority that He threatens. So they're, first of all, rejecting God's will. And it's not a new thing. And Jesus points that out uh, by way of the parable. This has been going on for centuries. The Jews, and in particularly the Jewish leaders, have rejected God's will. And God has sent time and time again, prophet after prophet after prophet, and Righteous men and women who lived as testimonies of the truth of God and God's grace, and they rejected them and mistreated them. And finally, He sends His own Son, and they're rejecting Him. And that's the point of the parable. It's an indictment against them. And they get it. You look at verse 45. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard His parable, they perceived that he was speaking of them. The, the problem here is, is not really perception. It is in part, but it's, it's not that they, they can't get all this, that they don't understand all this. They know who Jesus is claiming to be. They even understand His indictments against them. The problem is rebellion. He has what they want. In the parable, the tenants recognized the Son as the Son. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't that they didn't know who He was. The problem was that He had what they wanted. They were assuming authority. Usurping his authority. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They were set on robbing the landowner of his possessions, of what was rightfully his. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. That's what Jesus is saying. You're rejecting the will of God. And your motive is essentially that you want to be God. 
You, you reject His authority because that threatens your authority. They're demanding autonomy. Set themselves up as king. Now, I, I, I point all that out to say this. Well, number one, I want us to get it in context, and I want us to see exactly what I think Jesus is saying and doing here. <clears throat> but also, I think there's plenty of personal application here. In other words, I, I don't think it's only the Pharisees who are guilty of doing this. In fact, any man, man or woman, left to themselves in their natural state, this is every one of us. Every one of us. God comes with manifestation after manifestation after manifestation of His grace and goodness and His kindness and His mercy. And he's, he's given us the environment that is, He's created everything just like it needs to be in order for us to be fruitful. To glorify Him. To worship Him. To do good works to the glory of God. And the natural state of our heart is to resist all of that. Because it threatens our Autonomy. It takes away our crown. Now, I said earlier that I thought that was the root of all sin. This motivation um, to to this motivation of self-rule. Now, think about that for a moment, and think about the first sin: Adam and Eve in the garden. What was the real temptation there? Was it? Was it the, the fruit, which, by the way, probably was not an apple. I don't, I don't know what it was, but um, probably was not an apple. We don't know what it was. But what, was it the fruit? Eve did look at it and, and see that it was a thing to be desired, right? But do you think that was the main draw? I don't think so. Remember Satan's temptation? Go ahead and eat. You shall be as God. You know, that's, that's about the only thing that they lacked in the garden. They had everything. And we talk about freedom. They had freedom. They didn't have a, autonomy and freedom are two different things. And they weren't autonomous, but they were free in the truest sense. And God showed them all of the fruit of all of the trees in the garden and said, it's yours. Except for that one over there. Don't touch that one. Don't eat it, is what He said. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You do. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And Satan's temptation to Eve was... Well, God just said that because He knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like Him. You'll be like God. Now, that's, that's the, 
the real temptation. And he hasn't really changed his strategy. <laughs> he's, he's still tempting people today the same way, bringing God's Word into question and promising you'll be like God. You'll be like God. And that's what they wanted. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. Real quickly, here are the consequences. And by the way, remember the ones I just mentioned from the, from the garden. God said, the day you eat of it, you'll die. Here, Jesus um, raises the question to the Pharisees. Therefore, this is in verse 39, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Verse 41, they, they reply, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Now, there, he will destroy those wicked men miserably. There's actually, a, 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 in the Greek, a play on words there. He will miserably destroy those miserable men. He's going to destroy them. There's, there's consequences for their rebellion. And he'll lease the vineyard to other vine dressers. That is, the blessing goes somewhere else. You, you refuse it? Okay. You lose it. I mean, you're not going to be successful in stealing his inheritance. And if you refuse his will, you lose the blessing. It goes somewhere else. And, and, and that, by the way, I think is a, uh, a hint here uh, of the inclusion of the Gentiles that is to come. And then remember the stone, stone which the builders rejected. The builders, again, representing the religious leadership. They rejected the chief cornerstone. And Jesus goes on to say, in verse 44, verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. There's the consequences for rejecting the stone. The kingdom of God will be taken away, given to another nation. Again, picturing uh, a transfer, so to speak, the, 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 uh, the blessings of God that were bestowed upon the nation of Israel. Their, their commission to be a witness uh, for Him to the world transferred to the church. And now, not just, uh, even though it's referred to as a nation here in the singular form, um, not just one people, but... Uh, a nation of people made up of all peoples. Peter says we're a holy nation. Uses it in the singular also. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. This stone is a stumbling block. This chief cornerstone is a stumbling block. For some, for those who stumble on it, they'll be broken. And on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And he goes on 
soon after this to talk specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem, God's judgment coming upon the nation. Because they refused to do God's will. And because they sought to rob Him of His glory. Rob Him of His authority. Rob Him of the praise and worship that He is due. Well, verse 45 says, The Pharisees perceived that He was speaking of them. Now let me just raise the question before we close this morning. Is He speaking of us? Is He speaking of you? Is He speaking of me? And what Jesus is getting at here is submission to Him. Loving Him. Recognizing Him for who He is and submitting to Him in loving, willing submission. Doing His will. That's the issue. That's the idea of of the fruits that He's looking for. Submitting to His Lordship. Doing His will. Are we among those who praise Him and worship Him? Or among those who refuse to do His will? Who refuse to bring forth the fruits that He's looking for? Well, I don't think the Pharisees are... You know, we have all this recorded just so we can point our fingers at them and accuse them. <laughs> but I think it's also so that we can examine our own selves. And do what the Lord said. Beware of their teaching. Beware of their doctrine. What would, ultimate, what would it look like ultimately for us to submit to God's will? Submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's, here's one of the wonderful things. He's not looking at us to measure up. That's not what He means by bringing forth fruits. He's not looking at us to measure up to to some standard. That is, that we work on and meet ourselves so that we can earn righteousness with God. What He is looking for is submission to Christ. Come to Christ. Not, Not to rob Him, but to receive from Him. Isn't that somewhat of an irony? Those who sought to rob Him, steal His inheritance, wind up destroyed while the others become heirs. Those who submit become heirs. That's the fruit that He's looking for. Submission to Christ. Love Him. Worship Him. Honor Him. And live for Him. The justice and the righteousness that Isaiah talked about. We could spend a lot of time on that, but as I said, we've done some of that, so we won't do that today. Submission to Christ. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Is He your Lord? It's not just do you know who He is. They, in the parable, they knew He was the Son of the landowner. They recognized that. But they were rebelling against Him. Is He your Lord today? Would you stand, please?
We're going to close with a word of prayer. and I just ask you to examine your own heart as we do that. and Ask the Lord, Lord, what is my heart? Even as a Christian, we don't submit in everything like we should, do we? And so, just like we've been talking about in Sunday school with the sanctification, we need God's grace in order to become more submissive to Him and more in line with His will. And you're not going to muster it up. <laughs> it's got to come from Him. We're dependent on Him. Let's pray. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.